Welcome to the Financial Advisors Edge Podcast, a show created by financial advisors for financial advisors. Are you ready for some straight talk about building and growing a financial services practice? Four advisors in different states at different firms that have each built $100 million plus practices from scratch the right way through hard work, doing the right thing, and having fun while doing it. It's time for you to get the edge. Here are your hosts, Brad Warhurt, Jeff Copeland, Jim Martin, and Greg Gonzalez. Today, we are talking about the power of specialization, building a niche, a niche, whatever you want to call it. That's what we're going to cover on today's podcast. We're talking with Brad Warhurst. Brad's one of the uh, co-founders and co-owners of the podcast. I'm excited to dive into his practice because, um, you know, I'm a kind of a student of other practices. And Brad runs one of the most unique, different practices that I've ever talked to. Hyper successful guy, incredibly smart in a rural area that's built a $100 million practice, focusing on a group of people that we're all told has no money. So welcome into the podcast. This is the Elite Advisor Podcast. Hey, you can connect with us. We have a private Facebook group. Go out to Facebook, type in Elite Advisor I'm sorry, not a lead advisor lab. Go into, you know, I get so confused about all our all our names. But yeah, go out to Facebook, type in the Financial Advisors Edge. You'll find a community listed right there. Great group of people sharing ideas and growing. And then we've also got the Elite Advisor Lab where Iron Sharpens Iron. It's our private coaching group. And we'll talk more about that later. But without uh, without holding back on the good stuff, Brad, welcome into the show. We're talking about your practice. I'd like to get a little bit of background. When did you start? How long ago was that? 2007, Jim. 2007. Oh. Yeah. Your, your scratch starter. Scratch starter. It, it, so nobody came and handed you like a book of $30 million and said go. No. So actually, scratch starter at an independent broker dealer. Well, that's also. even harder. No. Oh, that's, it was miserable. Yeah. That's hard. That's, <laughs> a, that's a harder group. That's a harder grind than me because I, I'm a scratch starter, but at least I had a broker dealer behind me, right? Like I had a name and all the other stuff. So you were, you're kind of like just on your own with no salary and, and nope. they said go. Yeah. Cause that's tough. Yeah. That's, that's starting from there. So you had to make it like, there was probably no plan B associated with it. So when you did that, Brad, you, you started from scratch. Let's, so that's where you were. Let's talk about where you are today and then we'll get into the middle. So now you're, uh, you're, you're hundred million dollar plus guy, yep. like huge Shade, seven Shade figure revenue. Yep. Yeah. So 150, 160, somewhere around there. Is that, or is it higher or low? Yeah. So, so, you know, obviously markets drive that and up and down a little bit and Brad adding assets. So think about this. He went from zero with no salary and really no support. And if you're an independent broker dealer, you're not getting a lot of training. They're like just taking a flyer on you. And and then all of a sudden, uh, and you're going to laugh, he's going to laugh at me about the training and say, what training in a second? Uh, And now now you're running, now you, now you've got a business generating over, over a million dollars in revenue. $150 $150 million plus in assets. I mean, just uh, rock star kind of numbers right there. So congratulations, first off. I think it's amazing. Tell us about the journey. Like, how hard was it? Had to be had to be grind. It was. So it's funny, on the training on the training piece, um, after I passed, when I, I took the seven, and I think, Jim, for you too, it was still NASD then, correct? Yes. Yeah, so I took, there was no SIE, so I took the seven and the 66, and when I passed the 66, it was in August, um, my OSJ, you know, shook my hand. I get, you know, got right back from the Sylvan Learning Center or whatever and shook my hand. And I remember my, my, my training was this. Well, congratulations. 
Now, if you have a chance to write business, you should write it because you're legal. That was it. <laughs> I love it. I had to call the eight. Yeah, I had to get the eight hundred. I had to call the eight hundred number uh, to get you know a login and email address and all that stuff. So uh, it was quite the grind. So I mean, from there, um, I'll be honest. I didn't even realize that this was a sales profession when I joined. Oh, who does uh, right? Like, yeah, I, we we all think we're going to go out and select stocks and mutual yep. funds and ETFs and like you know be this like all, all we're going to do is put our sign out and people are going to show up. Yep. Yep. So, so that was me. So, uh, you know, the first year or two was quite the, uh, quite the awakening to what reality was. And then, um, you know, I had to figure out, I kind of looked around and said, um, all right, so I look in this, you know, low population rural area, what am I going to do to get business combined with that? I fact that I, I really didn't have very good sales skills at the time. So I, I kind of looked at the market and decided, you know, I've talked before on the, on the podcast that I have, you know, we, most of us, I would think have, have public education around us, you know, and, uh, then to bolster that, I also have, uh, a public university that is maybe two blocks from my office with about 10 to 12,000 students in it. So I thought, you know, I have no, I don't have any big manufacturing. I don't have any uh, headquarters near me for any Fortune 500 companies. There's a rather large hospital system in the town over, but to me, uh, public education looked like a market that was available in my area. So I thought, let's start there. I talked to other people at my broker dealer. I talked to some other advisors, really across that. I, you know, I, I started going to conferences. Um, I would meet people from all over the country, and I would just start picking their brain and I would just cherry pick an idea from here, an idea from there. And then eventually I put together a pretty comprehensive growth plan and made it my own. And here we are. <laughs> That's awesome. So you, you identified, let, let me make sure I, I recap that. So you identified a target market because you really didn't have one when you started. You looked Correct. at a major employer in your area. And and I think if you look at most areas outside of major metros, uh, you know, it's going to be state, city, governments, public education, or, you know, that's where it's at. And, and then you kind of put a, put together a marketing plan and just went after it. I, I think it's fantastic. Now, when you did that, um, what were some lessons you learned right away? Like, I imagine you just didn't show up in the teacher's lounge and, um, and have people handing you $100,000 bills. Nope. Nope. That's not exactly how it went. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, you know, I, it took me a long, a long while to, to learn. I think the biggest lesson that I learned was when I started, I was very much, and maybe this will help some listeners out there, I was very much on a mission to think the the key to winning business was show them how smart I am, right? Show them I've put in my time. I have all these degrees and all this finance knowledge. And, you know, I wouldn't say that that was a failure, but it certainly wasn't smooth. Right. Um, and then, you know, a couple of years in, as I, I, I got more comfortable, I learned to talk a lot less about technicals. Uh, a lot less about finance, to listen more, ask better questions, and just talk to people more like you and I are talking right now. Like we're just people having a discussion. Right. And I mean, that was night and day difference, a night and day difference to a change in my practice so much that I, I tell I tell prospects this story that I didn't get my insurance license until 2010 because I came through a finance program in college and, and you know, uh, insurance term insurance okay but other than that i mean permanent life insurance annuities all bad i figured i had no need to for any of that i, I was never going to sell any of that yeah um 
And so very much the first couple of years, we were going to do things my way or we weren't going to do business, you know, and that's just, uh, that's just how I rolled. And then, um, as I grew, I started to realize that, you know, people don't live, um, in a book book. The book doesn't have any emotions, right? The book doesn't have family. The book doesn't have kids. The book doesn't have X, Y, and Z. So I, I got the insurance license, um, in the end. And when I, when I kind of realized that I, I need to modify the advice that I'm giving to fit the real world that people were living in. So that's not to say that my original investment process and planning process isn't still uh, very useful, but it's not for everyone. So I, I want to have all the tools available so that I can serve a, a variety of people. Yeah. And, and I think it's, I think it's fascinating. I think a lot of, um, a lot of advisors think about the academic side of this, especially, especially the people that try to go out and get, you know, multiple designations right after graduation or whatever. They, they think they're going to wow people with their intelligence. And, um, I was listening to a, uh, another podcast earlier today and it talked about, talked about how people, uh, read. And if you look at like the USA Today, the largest, the largest newspaper, even the New York Times, they're actually written to seventh grade level. Like they're, they're written to seventh grade level because nobody wants to read the economist from front to cover, front to back. Like, like I like the economist when I'm flying because it's a good deep read. But the reality is, is that people consume at a seventh grade level on the written word. And then, then, then you layer in jargon of our business. Oh my gosh. I mean, you can imagine how, how that just, even, even smart people like educators probably just their, you know, they're, they, they don't love this stuff. So I think it's fascinating and, and, uh, and really wise for you to make that switch. So as you're building your, your niche out and you're, you're going through and specializing in this, did you ever have second doubts? Was there ever a time when you said, Oh, I don't know. Why am I doing this group? So, I mean, there were many, I had many doubts about whether I should, I should <laughs> proceed at all. <laughs> But I, I can't, I don't know that I had doubts, but I know that all the people, most of the people around me had doubts. The number of times that I heard, why are you trying to work with teachers? They don't have any money. Um, I don't know how many times I can count. I, I can't count the times. Um, that may be true, but teachers have, there's some teachers that have some money, but more importantly, I think teachers are often married to people that have money. Yeah. And actually, funny enough, not saying that I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm doing okay, but my wife is a teacher. So I always, whenever I've conveyed this to anyone else that I've mentored or, or even talked about this subject, you know, back in the seventies and eighties, you know, when we were called stockbrokers, we called, called for municipal bonds and tax-free yield was our way to get people at the table. For me, that was my way, you know, a 403B or, or some type of small contributory plan for a teacher was my cold call. That was my muni bond. That was my... I don't really care if you put a hundred bucks to pay in here or not. I'm not going to make any money either way. You know, if I make a dollar or two a year on that, that's great. But that's my way. I'm no longer just a, a a cold salesperson in your place of employment. I'm someone you do business with. So now I can get, now I have a warm seat at the table and can go from there. And I've always thought that was the same as, you know, the eighties cold call and a muni bond. I love it. That. Nope. Yeah. That's fascinating. Right. And, and you, and you can, uh, that's, that's a great, uh, that's a great, um, a great point 
because um you know if you work with a an underserved an underserved group of people which i would i would say that teachers and educators are underserved i mean if you look at the people that are in that space like the 403b space is like you know a ton of insurance companies yep. and people selling them annuities and and they're just yep. going for the sale and they don't do very much else other than that so fascinating especially even in the uh, even in the university space i mean it's just it, it, a lot of those have higher higher incomes but man oh man they're just underserved in a huge way um so i gotta imagine if you can get into the rest of the wallet it's a huge opportunity smart move smart for move. sure and you know at the university level if anyone works with those folks um you know another interesting challenge that you'll experience with them is a a lot of times especially these college professors are they're fairly transient you know it's tough to get tenure these days so they're bouncing around on a one two or three year contract so a lot of times you'll get these people you know they've got nine tia craft accounts at six different universities and oh, yeah. they've never yeah and they've never had a chance to establish a relationship with with someone but given the opportunity a lot of times they do um like you said they're just underserved and overlooked yeah, it's great. I think I think that's uh, I think it's it's fascinating when you think about that. If you had to if you had to look out over, you know, if you kind of had to read the tea leaves, I think I think marketing is going to get harder for people. Um, and if you think you if you believe there might be fee compression in our industry, and I I think that you might I think you do believe there will eventually be compression on advisors. I I'm not. I'm not as sure of that as uh, as you are. So we have a no. I've of- admitted I've admitted that you win. You win. I was I, I was wrong on that. I think on the short. I think on a on a, a decade kind of plan. I, I've won, but I I feel like over the next twenty years I'm going to be proven wrong on that. And hopefully you and I are both on a beach somewhere at that point. But 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 we're I, either going to be on a beach or under the beach. One, one of the two. <laughs> one of the two. One, definitely. But I I feel like I feel like specializing protects you from a lot of that because if you're the guy in a space like if i'm the guy that helps honda honda employees retire and i'm the guy at the fact that 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 everybody knows at the factory i'm probably insulated from that a little bit would you agree yeah i agree 100 percent. yeah yeah um percent yeah so you know i think i think that's why um, you know, Brad, I want to I, I want to talk about what we're doing in the Elite Advisor Lab and what you're going to be presenting soon because I, I'm a huge believer that specialization. And I don't think, by the way, I don't think you have to like throw your whole practice behind this, but I think that you can still have an arm of your practice that specializes. And I know that you're going to be talking about that in our Elite Advisor Lab. And for the folks who don't know what the Elite Advisor Lab, we have an online community with 30 or 40 people that share their ideas, their thoughts, their goals, their struggles, everything. Every month we do a deep dive into one area of our practice. And in in August, uh, Brad is going to do a deep dive into specialization, building on a niche, building on a niche, getting deep into this. And how do you do it? Where do you go? Brad, talk a little bit about what you're going to be doing there and why it's so impactful and important for people. Well, so the the why it's so impactful and so important i think is what a, what a niche does for me right it it increases my exposure to my target market um and it increases my credibility amongst them once i'm in front of them right and uh you know in my state actually the the idea that in my niche that teachers don't have any money not true because when they retire the state gives them a lump sum of money in addition to their pension so um there are advisors that don't specialize in this 
that are are looking for those clients. But I promise they've heard from me many, many times over before they ever even get a chance to see the wirehouse guy that's trying to get access, the Edward Jones, the independent guy that that doesn't focus on this space. They see me throughout every year of their working career. Uh, They know who I am. They see me at their place of employment. They come to my educational workshops and seminars. Their friends and colleagues in their department already work with me, right? So my exposure is through the roof um, before anyone else, you know, everyone else is coming in. We talk about this a lot. Like who are we, who are advisors trying to reach 50 to 60 year old, 50 to 65 year old, right? Well, we're coming in when they, they hit that demographic. These people, I've been doing this for what, eight, 18 years, something like that. 17, 18 years. There are people now getting ready to retire at the university near my office that I may have met when they were my age, when they were early forties, they have known me for 15 years. Now they're going to retire, right? I, I got to think I have a heck of a leg up on, on getting their business over someone that just came in because they bought their a mailing list that had their name on it because they're over 55 now. I got to imagine I have a huge leg up. No doubt. And then, right? and then I think of, I think of not just that, but like you're going to have a leg up because you focus, you're the guy in that space or the gal in that space. But also if you choose a specialization, when you cast the wide net, like I do, it's expensive. Like sure. when I'm going to market to, to everyone who's 55 to 65, I've got to have, I've got to spend a ton of money if I'm going to really do it in scale. But when you're advertising to a specific group of people, whether that's a, whether that's a career and education, wh- whatever that is, I've got to imagine, Brad, like what's your marketing costs on something like m- doing, doing to a group of people like this? Yeah, that's an excellent point, Jim. That's the other, that's another huge advantage to this. If you can get into a niche where you can leverage the niche to reduce your cost of acquiring clients, right? right. I, uh, and one of the ways that we'll talk about uh, in the live stream in August and, and work on in the lab is um, if you can get in somewhere and offer, um, offer some type of service, any product or service through their employer. Right, if you, if your niche is related to an employer, whether it's Honda, whether it's teachers, whether it's a university, whether it's federal employees, whatever. If you could, whether you could have a local or regional manufacturer, right, that has uh, 500 employees, it doesn't matter, right. But so what this does for me is getting a 403b contract um, with these school districts or university, or even a 529, you know, getting a 529 plan on uh, on payroll deduction. Anything that allows me to be considered a benefits type of vendor for an employer, I can now come in and access those employees during the workday, right? Because I'm I'm a, I'm like the health insurance provider or anybody else, um, whereas other people can't. If I want to, um, if I want to advertise a seminar, I can do that through employee email, employee mailboxes. Um, I think we've talked about this on a past episode, but to get real specific, I can advertise a seminar to 5,000 people in my target market for about $500. The cost of, And I'll tell you how simple it is, guys. I get the brightest neon paper I can get from Staples. I have seminar flyers printed on it, and I take two days and I drive around and I hand them out to the offices at all the employers uh, where I want to target. And I ask the secretaries, could they please place them in all the employees' mailboxes? That's my cost to fill two rooms um, with anywhere from 25 to 50 people 
than a two night seminar series. Yeah, five hundred bucks, unbelievable. I mean, yeah. um, I think about how much money I would have back in my life if I did that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I might drive and, the cars you drive, Brad. There you go. All when you're ready, I know where to. I can I can hook you up. But you know, it's not just it's not just four hundred three Bs. Imagine if you had a, an a Nav five twenty nine plan that you got on a, at a factory at a local a local factory with five hundred people there. And you're helping their, you know, helping them save for college and pay no sales charges. You get, um, I have a buddy I've talked about before. He's a state farm agent. They have a competing product to some of the Aflac, you know, hospital, uh, whatever. You cut your finger off, you get two hundred fifty. Yeah, bucks. the hospital get, indemnity programs. Or that's whatever. it, exactly. Yeah. He goes around to all you know businesses in our area. It costs them nothing except to chuck in their, on their on their payroll software. He doesn't pay for it. The employees pay for it. But now he's a benefits vendor. So he wants to go on and put on a seminar about the the importance of making sure your protection, you have all protection you need. And I'm making this up, obviously, but yeah. he can do it. He's a benefits vendor. He's not some guy that just called, you know, door knocked uh, HR. He's a benefits vendor. Right. And right. I think that's a huge way of leveraging a niche to give you access to people that you otherwise wouldn't have and credibility that you wouldn't otherwise have. Oh, no doubt. And and I think about like, sometimes people really struggle. We're going to walk through the exercise and how do you select the right one for your area? And sometimes we feel like, yes, we've got to go find a GM factory or a Boeing factory or this. That's not always the case. I mean, if you're in a smaller area and there's a small company with a thousand people or 500 people, uh, guaranteed it's underserved. Nobody has staked their claim in there. You can geofence that sucker, market the heck out of it. And if you got 10 clients out of it, 15 clients, you, you're you on your way, right? Like once you become Absolutely. the person there, and we all know these folks, like, I, we, you know, we, Brad and I jointly know somebody who they, they would just get a corporate directory and call people and invite them to a lunch and learn. Like, and eventually they, they knew so many people there, they would invite all their clients and ask them to bring a guest to the lunch and learn. So then people would just show up like there's. There's all kinds of magic there if you do it right. And it's yep. um and it's not this is not stuff that like you know, a lot of times people think, well, yeah, I'm gonna focus on, you know, plumbers and I'm gonna do it nationally. You don't have to do that. It can be regional no. if you do it the right way. I think if you do it the right, I, I've seen to have had, and I don't know why, but like law enforcement guys love me. I've got, I've got way too many FBI agents for an area that has no FBI agents. And I have way too many state troopers for an area. So you've got to find like who you naturally appeal to and meet them. Here's what's not, a, this is not a specialization. People 55 to 65 who are getting ready to retire is not a niche. Okay. That's a group of people. I would yep. even contend that women are not. There's 56% of women in America. If you're going to run out and say, I cater to women, Brad, Greg's going to be real mad at me. So, Greg, I'm not picking on you. <laughs> uh, I just know that's who you like to work with. I think that's a tougher get, right? Like, I just think that's a harder pull. Yeah. But if you're going to market to, like, divorced or widowed women, like you, you're getting more specialized, right. and that's what that's what Brad's going to teach you on the EA. By the way, let me give uh, let me give the EA uh, the Elite Advisor Lab uh, address because look, if you're if you've been thinking about how do I specialize in this, how do I learn about this, I want you to come out 
be part of the lab, learn about it. Look, we don't require annual contracts. You can kick it around for a month. At the end of the month, just cancel if you don't find value in it. No worries. But it's EliteAdvisorLab.com. Join the lab. We teach amazing tactics to grow your practice, to save you money, to streamline, to get you better. I, I think it's a huge value add if you kind of are on an island by yourself and you're not getting the help, the service, the the, the mentoring from other people in your market reach out and, and join the lab. It's EliteAdvisorLab.com. That's also in the show notes. Brad, what are some other things people should know about before they embark on this? Are there is there anything else people need to be prepared for? So I number one, you have to pick uh, number one, you have to pick a niche that's available in your in your area. Um I, I think I've told this story before about a friend of mine who owns um he's a mechanic and he owns a garage and he told you know he Years ago, he said, you know, he wants to focus on exotic cars. And, you know, we have a town of 12,000 people, a county of 65,000 people. I know of three exotic cars and I own one of them. <laughs> and they're all under warranty. And I said, hey, you know, buddy, if you can work that niche, but you got to go somewhere where where those cars exist. And he's since reversed course. I said, hey, you know, uh, if you make a million bucks a year changing brakes and oil. I mean, it spends the same as a million bucks a year doing timing on a Ferrari. And that sunk in and and he's modified his approach to target what we have in our area. So number one, you know, make sure who you're trying to get as clients actually exist in the area that you're marketing to and want to work in. I, I would say that that's number one. Um, you know, and I, and I, I want to say why I think this is such a big deal. When we choose a CRM, there there are CRMs for you know there there's thousands of different CRMs, but I think everybody we choose, most advisors choose Redtail or they choose Wealthbox. Why? Because those are custom to financial advisors. I would love to find a tax person that specializes in financial advisors. I just feel like we run a unique business and there's opportunities, but you know like. When I go to my tax guy locally, he's a great CPA. I really like him. Good dude. But he doesn't specialize in financial advisors. But if there was one around that I thought did a great job, that's who I would go to. So if you needed an attorney or you needed a doc, like people seek these folks out and they pay more. You will pay more for somebody that specializes in your business, Brad. So as we wrap up, I think, I think like, I think this is the future. I am dead set at my practice that we're going to build two of these out. And it's not going to be the focus of our business, but it's going to be a focus of our business. Brad, for you, final thoughts as we kind of wrap this up around your specialization and and what we're trying to do here. You know, final thought, let me give a a word of caution as my final thought. If you're going to pick, don't pick a niche that you can't you can't feel good about being a part of. If you're if you if you're very liberal politically, don't make conservative Republicans your target market. If you despise golf, do not pursue golfers. If you you know, if you genuinely do love something and want to integrate that into a, a niche in your, your practice, go for it. But don't do something don't fake it. Don't fake it because you'll end up being that miserable salesy guy on the golf course or at the at wherever. Um, try and make it something that you enjoy doing genuinely because that will show through to the people that you're targeting. I love it. Yeah, I I, I think we're going to end right there because I think I think following if you're going to do this, it, it, I, if it's not going to be the sole focus of your business, follow your passions. Like like this business should be fun. I think sometimes we forget how much it, it should be fun. 
And I think you yep. should really focus on that. I, I think that's a great way to end it. Brad, I, I want to really thank you for sharing this stuff. I think it's terrific. Look, again, guys, Brad is going to do a deep dive into specialization, building out a niche, getting getting really intentional with it, growing your practice this way, cutting your marketing costs. If, if, if you think that finds value to you, join us at the uh, Elite Advisor Lab, uh, EliteAdvisorLab.com. Remember, we'll be back next week. Thanks for listening to the show. Thanks for listening to the show. Check us out at thefinancialadvisorsedge.com if you want to learn more about us. If you enjoyed the content, make sure to leave us a five-star review and tell your friends about us. The opinions that are expressed in the shows are that of each host only and don't necessarily reflect the opinion of the other hosts. Like the weather, our opinions can change. This podcast isn't intended to provide tax, legal, or investment advice. Always consult with a qualified professional. We cannot guarantee our opinions or forecasts are right. See you next week.